thank you. Jeff, he always does such a great job, doesn't he? Every time he comes up here, he's, he's a gifted, gifted communicator. So one day you will do the whole message here. Yeah, next week. Um, so yes, unity, togetherness is what we're going to be talking about um, today. The series of our small groups is called In This Together. And that's kind of what, uh, that's kind of the title of today. Message, if you like titles, we can call it In This Together. Something I love about this church, something I appreciate about this community is the sense of family that we have. And I'm not sure if all of you feel that same way, but I I do. I feel this sense of family here. And I appreciate the diversity that we have. And I know often when we think diversity, we typically think race or ethnicity or maybe our economic status, maybe genders, um, diverse in relationships, married, single, divorced, dating, engaged. But what I think about what is kind of unique with us when it comes to diversity is the diversity of thought that we have, which is probably the hardest thing to be in community is diverse in thought. I appreciate that many of us think differently, that we all have our opinions, that we agree on some things and we may differ or we may disagree on other things. But as a community, like, like this, this idea of being together and being diverse in thought, it doesn't come without a cost. We just went through what I would say was a pretty heavy topic in the last month or so. We talked and we had a series called Women and the Church, this idea of Christian feminism. And and I know that brought up some stories of hurt for some. It brought out resistance in others. And I know from conversations that I've had with people that at times it was uncomfortable. It was stretching. It was thought-provoking. Some of the wordage we used was difficult to process. And I get that. I know that with some words come baggage for many of us, but my hope is that we were able to take hold of some new definitions, but those are important conversations to have. And we're going to keep having those conversations as a community. But before we jump into the next series, I want to do uh, kind of going with your theme, Jeff. I want to take a time out as a team this last weekend. Um, I was, uh, um, helping coach a team of seventh grade girls um, in Gatlinburg, uh, Tennessee. We went up there for a big tournament. We had uh, 27 teams just in our bracket of the seventh grade girls. And we had teams from Ohio and South Georgia. All these teams come up there. And we played some really big teams. And I mean big as in that they were big people. They were not seventh graders. And uh, we wanted to check birth certificates, but we weren't allowed to do that. But in, anyways, it just, it was, it was somewhat defeating because we, we kept hitting these obstacles. It just, there wasn't a way around. We felt we were going in there as uh, with good chance or a good team, but we just kept hitting these obstacles. It just, there seemed to be uh, no way around this. And at the end, our girls were pretty, pretty down, pretty, um, pretty just, you know, hurt and felt defeated. And we had to, we called a timeout. We had to get them together and huddle together and say, hey, let's remember why we're here. Let's remember what we're doing here. And we're learning how to play basketball. And it's not just about the wins and losses. And sometimes in life, you're going to, you're going to have hard things to, uh, to, to conquer big, bigger things out there, but we got to remember why we're here. And that's, that's kind of what I want to do today. I want to, I want to call a timeout as a team, as a community. I want to check our pulse. Uh, I think it's good to stop and remind ourselves why we do what we do, why we're here, um, why we gather on Sunday mornings, you know, why we get together for small groups in, in people's homes during the week. Why do we do church? See, I love church, and I know that's not a, a, a popular thought in our culture these days, but I do. I, I have great hope for the church and the movement that we're a part of. But at the same time, one of the harder parts for me 
and my hope and my love for this church is it's one of the things that this church is, is, is notorious for. And when I say this church, I mean church in, in America is the casualties. The two fastest and largest growing groups of churches in America are the nuns, which is the no affiliation. We don't go to church. We have no background. We don't, we're, we're, we're not affiliated with any church. We're the nuns. And then the other group is the duns. It says, I'm done with church. I went there, but I'm done. I don't want it to be a part of it anymore. And we all know people that have been hurt by the church, people who have felt abandoned or abused, people who have felt rejected or or turned away, people who have had their feelings hurt or or not happy with decisions the church has made, or people who just had, they had hope. And for some reason, they lost the hope. They walked away. They they gave up and they said, "I'm, I'm just done with church. And it's very painful to see and hear stories of people that I know who've walked away from their faith. I open up Facebook and almost every day I can see stories of friends that I grew up with, who went to, I went to college with or I, I, I grew up in church with. And they've walked away from the organized church. They've walked away from their faith. They're, they're tired of the church not doing what they said they, they believed. They're tired of the church saying one thing and then living out another. And some of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. Some of us, you're, you're headed that way. You're looking for significance in the church. You know, why do I even go anymore? What is it all about? Do I even need it in my life? I read this, this blog post. It was called Church is the Enemy. Let me read it for you. It says, looking for a church? Stop. Found one already? Forget its whereabouts. I submit that the church is the wrong way forward. The church masquerades itself as the body of Christ, when in fact it is the scourge of Christ's body. I left church a few years ago and have no desire to return. The organized church is regressive and oppressive, exclusive and self-serving, inauthentic and paralyzing. It offers a false sense of security by providing a place to hide from the real world. It it displaces our personal responsibility to the leadership of a spiritual CEO. I think Christians owe themselves more self-respect than be hobbled by the present paternalistic phenomenon known as the church. Escape the captivity of the herd. It's more dangerous, but nonetheless far better to live in civilization. The burden of responsibility handed to each of us is indeed a treasure. Sure, we are naturally drawn to other Christians for companionship and for cooperation to advance God's kingdom. But something shady is going on here. I read that and I'm like, wow. Man, I get it. I get it. I've had those same same feelings before. And some of you have had those same thoughts as well. That blog is full of skepticism. There's a lot of assumptions in there. It's full of hurt. It's full of honesty. But the tragedy is it's, it's full of truth too. Like I'm conflicted with that. That today's church is a, is this mixed bag of rights and wrong methods. And a lot of people think that they, and they feel the same way this blogger feels. That church and religion and and even scripture in the wrong hands can devastate. It can damage. It it can kill. And the point of today's message is not to complain about the church, but to become the church we dream of. To help you and I become the church we're called to be. Because I haven't given up on the church yet. And you being here tells me that you haven't given up yet. And why we still believe in the church and what what it's about the church that gives us hope. And so we're going to look to one of the first churches that we, we've read about, we know about, and it's the one that we find in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. 
We're going to be in Acts 1 and Acts 2. Turn with me to Acts 1. I want to look at a few... I want to look at a few things the early church was known for in hopes that it will show us a way for us to live as a faith community. I want to briefly just take a moment to look at the characteristics of the first church in Acts. So actually Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is where we'll start. 2.42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The people in the church were, were together, it says. There are a ton of different ideologies when it comes to how a church should function, how it should work. And many of them are good and they, and they do work and, and there's others that don't. But I really believe for us as the Grove community, to be who we're supposed to be, to fulfill our vision or our mission as a church, is to be unified in purpose. That we have to be together in this. Is church for you? Is, is this church for you a place that you just come to on Sundays? Or are you fully engaged here? Do you take ownership of the programs and the ministries and the outreaches? Are you taking ownership? Are you invested in those? Are you all in? We say that often. It says here that they were devoted. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Are you devoted to Jesus and to what we're doing here. To be honest, you, you, you can't expect more than what you give. And this is for everyone. This is for me. This is for our elders, our leaders. You can't expect more from this place than what you give. We can't reach this community if you're not reaching. We can't serve this community if you're not serving. Are you all in or are you just hanging out here? Are you being served? Are you involved in a small group? Are you spending time together with other Christ followers? Are you studying the Bible, praying together, serving one another? Would being together describe your experience with church? Or would church be better described as something you do on Sundays or every other Sunday, right? Is it a community to you or is it a hobby? Because if I'm going to be honest, and I've said this many times, church as a hobby has to be the lamest hobby, right? Like you couldn't find anything else to do today. Like nothing better on Sunday mornings than to be here, right? This moment that we gather should be about being together. But not just for the sake of being together to hang out. But as we read, it says that they were doing things. That the believers were together and they had things in common. That they sold things to give to the needy. That they, every day they met together in the courts. They broke bread. They ate together. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The church that we dream of is not just going to happen. We have to work at it and it's hard. And it's important work. But again, we can't expect more than we give. And I say that to myself. I say that to the staff, our members, our attenders. We cannot expect more than we give. And it's not just financially but how we serve one another, how, uh, what we do together. In James chapter 1, verse 22, 
It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word does not and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. In verse 27, religion that God, our father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, the church indeed must match their creed, right? If we are to love God and to love others, we have to actually love both God and others. We can say that we love other people. We can, we can believe it, but unless we are out there doing it, our deed doesn't match our creed. Another thing we find in the first church is this idea of authenticity. In chapter 1, verse 24, so if you turn back to chapter 1, verse 24, it says this, And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all. Peter says it like this. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. In other words, who we are inside matters. And it doesn't get more authentic than this, that God, you know my heart. And for some reason, church has become this place where we can't be real. We can't be honest with each other. We say, how are you doing? You're like, I'm great, good. And you know, God is good all the time, right? But on the inside, you're hurting. You're angry. You're a mess. And the truth is, I am too. We're, we're all a mess. I read from this often to you and I, the same passage, but this is out of the Alcoholic Anonymous uh, Bible, is what they call it in chapter 2. But I love this description of, of, their, of this program and how it ties into us. And if you've heard me say this, begin, just listen one more time. It says, we are average Americans, all sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented as well as political and economic, social and religious backgrounds. But we are people who normally would not mix. But there exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck when camaraderie and joyousness and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. And so I say that as the church, the grove, that we're a people who normally would not mix, but we gather under the understanding that we are a mess and that we do need God. And it's the brokenness that we share, but it's Christ that holds us together, that unites us. Authenticity is so critical for us to be a community that grows. We have to be real. That this is an okay place for you to be okay. And the leaders are called to lead with vulnerability, and I hope that I can. But we need to be real with each other so that we can grow together. We need transparency. We need to be honest with one another. But even more than that, we need to be honest with God. It's an okay place to not be okay, but it's not okay just to stay there. 
45% of churchgoers in America, when asked, 45% admitted that they were dissatisfied with their spiritual walk or journey. The other 55%, they weren't there that Sunday. So maybe, maybe you're not happy. <laughs> it got there. Maybe you're not happy, right? Maybe it's because you're not being real with us, right? Maybe you're not being authentic and honest. And if that's the case, you will never be fully known. And we're less of a community because of that. When you and I are fully known, that's when God is fully known in us. Let me give you an example. C.S. Lewis had a group of writers that he would get together with. And they met at a pub. And they would drink and they would smoke cigars together. And they would talk about ideas and thoughts. And they would share their writings together. And it was a famous circle of friends called the Inklings. Uh, included a guy you might know, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, author of Lord of the Rings, uh, and also this author, British author, Charles Williams, who died young and unexpectedly. And when Charles Williams died, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. But now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates the unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. In other words, not only are we going to miss him, but I'm going to miss the you that he created by him. Because he is no longer around to make that you exist. What would it be like if our relationships were like that? Lewis is saying that it took a community to know an individual. How much more would this be true of our growing knowledge of who God is? That the more we remain as a community and belong to each other, the more we know Christ and us in him. It says you can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends without a family of believers in which you find a place. Have you ever sat here on a Sunday morning and just said to yourself, I know there's something more. I know there's something I need to change in my life to be growing towards. I know there's more to experience in this community. But how often do you suppress that? Man, if I could, if I could just make it to 1230, right? You need to put things in your life that will help you grow. Things like small groups. We're starting those this week, we said. You should be in one if you're not. We have a huge need for people to serve in our kids program. Every Sunday, we're, we're looking for more volunteers. We have up to 100 kids sometimes back, back there in the back. We need help. It's a sacrifice. And I know some of you are not going to want to do that. But you prefer to just come and be present, right? But we need you to participate. We need you to fully engage this community. Why go after God just halfway? Why make church just a hobby? It's what we say to our girls in the huddles during 
Go full, fully go. Why just be out there on the court? Why not play? Why not try to score? Why not try to win? And the last thing, as I kind of close down, the band's going to join me here. Is in verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, they did what they knew how to do. And so this is kind of, you got to read into this. But verse 26, they're deciding, they have to, they, they're, they're, they're making a decision. They got these two leaders that they're going to appoint. They don't know which of the two they're going to do. They cast lots, which means they rolled the dice. They did what they knew how to do when they didn't know what to do. How do we pick? What do we do? Has anyone got a pair of dice? I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. Some decisions had to be made and they didn't know exactly how to do it. So they, they rolled the dice. And then they went to their default as a community. They went on loving each other and serving each other and giving to each other. They opened the Bible. They didn't have a Bible back then, but they had the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. They opened it together. They broke bread with one another. They, they're having dinner and, and being with one another. They're gathering together to praise God. That was their default. I'm not sure that's today's church's default. For the early church, they'd led with love. Love one another. That needs to be our default too. When times are tough and and we're not sure what we're supposed to do and decisions are needed to be made, we need to lead with love. It says that they will know who you follow by the way you love one another. That the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen, your faith and my faith is meant to be life-changing and it should be marked by joy. Psalms 51, restore the joy of my salvation. If you're not happy with your current spiritual condition, you need to make a change. Some of you sit here and you're here every week and your arms are crossed and you, you look unhappy. Why? Why? Why are you so unhappy? If loving people and serving people and breaking bread with people, praying for people, studying scripture with each other is not what you want to do, you might be in the wrong place this morning. You're welcome to stay. But being a Christ follower might not be your thing then. This journey with Jesus is supposed to be good, not miserable. If you don't want to be here, go do something else or ask God to change, help change your attitude. We want this place to be an irresistible environment for you and your friends to seek God and know God and to be known by God, to help each other follow Jesus, to worship him and giving and serving and loving and offering your praise to be in community and to be in unity with each other. And Colossians 3 verse 12 says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all over and over all these virtues it says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See the goal for us is is unity, not uniformity. That's the element of team that we, we're not looking for. Uniformity is this idea that we're all wearing the same jersey. We're united in form. There's no external differences or the behavior modification is important. We need to look the same, talk the same, think the same. We're like robots and cookie cutters. But unity, 
Unity allows room for differences, difference in a, opinion and thought, but united in a mission, a mission to love God and to love others. And our goal on Sunday is to create irresistible environments that give the best opportunity for us to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ so that we can be united in him. If you knew, if you knew that you were dying and you had just a short time left and you needed to get a message out, it'd probably be of great importance, right? Like it would be one of those things like, hey, if you haven't heard anything else in my life, hear this one thing. The night before Jesus was arrested and ultimately crucified, Jesus prayed this over his disciples. He said in John 17, I in them and you in me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Like it says in Acts chapter 2, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God, speak to us again in the next few moments as we openly worship and praise you through song. Search our hearts. May we be seeking you fully with, in our worship with truth and spirit. Bind us together. Unify us as one. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the story of redemption. You're bringing back and redeeming this entire earth. You're drawing us back to you. And we praise you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.